But I want to read a different verse to kind of get us into our text this morning. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen for us. You know, as we've talked about this process of navigating life, navigating spaces that are in desperate need of restoration, reworking, reviving. The Lord kind of led me to this verse to kind of move us into what Nehemiah has for us this morning. But Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. It says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this word. God, we just, Lord, ask you to just speak to us, humble us underneath your glory this morning. Lord, allow us to see and to hear and to embrace the truths you have for each and every one of us in the space where we're living today. God, we love you, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So church, as we've been talking about uh, Jerusalem, the Jews, and their process of rebuilding the walls of their great city uh, after captivity, after being defeated, uh, after just sitting in ruins for over a hundred years, And then Nehemiah praying a prayer, seeking to come and to be a part of that restorative process, uh, to see the rebuild happen, to sure up their spots that they are vulnerable, to uh, repair and rebuild the spots that... uh, that, that uh, make them susceptible to the attacks of the enemy and, and that don't create a space and a foundation for them to take great steps forward. This whole process for us has been talking towards this point at which the wall is built, that the, uh, the, the spaces of defense are ready, that the enclosure has happened. <clears throat> and so, you know, as we kind of move into the section, we've talked uh, leading up to this about some of the attacks of the enemy there's been some external attacks, uh, some plans for, for physical violence, uh, trying to cause confusion, trying to do these things amongst the people to hinder the work and the finished work uh, that God is intending to do through and with these people. And so what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, as we kind of navigate some of the structure of this, is we see the people, Nehemiah has led the people to the point at which the wall is almost finished. <clears throat> right. So the wall is almost done. The enemy is almost completely shut out. So we have to remember, you know, we, we look at the ancient world and the way the ancient world fit, you know, the, these civilizations or these kingdoms, these, these cities, they would build these massive walls to protect themselves, uh, to make it difficult. And so with the lack of technology and things that the enemy would have had, it had been extremely difficult to get in unless uh, they were to find a vulnerable point in the walls or something like that, in the gates, or, or unless someone from the inside let them in, you know. And so there's all these ways but the walls were so important to their defense, to their protection, and to their growth and development as a people. And so they're nearing the completion of this. And what we see here, you know, we see their plans and we see how they're moving towards this point of finality, this point of establishment with this role. You know, there's still several more chapters left of this book. And so what we're going to see here is is the work changes from the work on the outside to the work on the inside and what we'll begin to see. But uh, we see the final kind of push. And if I had subtitled this this morning, uh, something, it would be this, the fight at the finish. 
uh, the fight at the finish because like we've said through the whole process of the opposition of the enemy, when the enemy knows that we're preparing to sure up ourselves, to get ourselves to a point where we're finally ready to start taking some strides, the enemy is going to attack and he's going to find these places. Well, this morning the enemy's attack is different than, than the way the enemy's attack has been because the enemy's attack up to this point has been a very general attack on the people itself or confusion for the people or the kingdom itself. But the enemy changes his strategy this time. And uh, he, he begins to attack Nehemiah personally. And I think it's so telling for us in our lives whenever we begin to move in these spaces of, of rebuilding or trying to do right or trying to be, uh, be, be in a place of taking the right steps that, that God is leading us towards, is what happens is, is that the enemy begins to make it so much more personal to us. Listen, in the general attacks affect us personally, but it's, it's different when those things are aimed directly at you. And you, you know the things that I'm speaking of and the things that maybe you've navigated in your own life when you felt very individualized within the sights of the enemy. Because this is how he works. This is how it happens. This is how it plays out. And, and especially when we are getting near points of finality with processes in our life. And so... There's going to be three things that we'll look at this morning, three quick things uh, to see from the text of, of how Nehemiah navigates these different points. And what we'll see is we'll see these different points of attack that the enemy does and the enemy tries to draw out of, his pe uh, out of Nehemiah to cause a problem or to cause an issue to keep from seeing the finished work happen. And so what we see is in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, we see this man, Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, these people that we saw back in Nehemiah chapter 4, that they had intentions on uh, trying to cause issue. They were, pe they were people from around the region. They didn't want to see the kingdom established. They didn't want to see good happen. And so they were a very obvious enemy. And so what we begin to see is they begin to, they begin to kind of uh, send personal attacks towards Nehemiah individually. You know, and, and, and for us, and I don't know about you, but some of the most devastating blows that you experience in your life are personal attacks, right? Personal attacks. And, and it hurts when they're true, but it, it's even more hurtful sometimes when they are a misrepresentation of who you are. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced an attack that was a misrepresentation of who you are. Now listen, this isn't to say that we're perfect or that we have it all together, but sometimes how we act, how we say, how we navigate in certain aspects of our life are misrepresented. And a lot of times the enemy will use our misstep or use that misrepresentation to cause an issue for us, to cause problems for us in how we move forward. And so there's three things that we see the enemy do here to, to, to attempt to cause a problem to keep that defense from being finished, to keep that wall, that protection, that, that step of growth that they need to move forward from happening. And the first thing is this, is that the enemy attempts a corrupt compromise. The enemy attempts a corrupt compromise. And so what am I saying here? So in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 6, <clears throat> we see this Samballat and Tobiah. Uh, they come together 
They, it says that, that our enemies have heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time, Nehemiah talking, I had not set up the doors and the gates. And so he says it's nearing, it's nearing a finality. It's nearing the point where we can finally start to take steps of growth. Because remember, the people cannot grow until they've finished their defense. Until the wall is done, the people cannot truly start to experience restoration. And so the enemy knows that that point is coming. And so they get together and they come together. And we read here in Nehemiah chapter 2, it says that, that he sent, they sent to, him, sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakaferim in the plain of Ono. And so we see what happens is, is that Nehemiah's obvious enemy, leading up to this point, an obvious enemy... Sends an invitation. And he says, come let us meet together. Come let us meet together. And it says later on, uh, down, in, down in verse 4, it says, and they sent to me four times in this way. And so there's this constant invitation to come into fellowship. To come be a part of what we're doing. We want to, we want to talk to you. We want to draw you away. And so really, this, the place, this, this Ono that he's speaking of is, is, is not a short travel. So he's trying to draw Nehemiah away from the work. He's trying to draw him away from what he's doing into this sense of fellowship with him and these other leaders. From what he's presenting it as, as this innocent conversation. But... As, as he kind of navigates this, you know, Nehemiah can go back on his history with, this in, with these people. In Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1, it says that Sanballat and Tobiah says that he was angry and greatly enraged when he heard that the walls were being rebuilt. Going down into verse 2 and 3 of Nehemiah 4, it says that he called them feeble Jews, incapable Jews. It says, will they restore questioning their ability to do anything... Calling where they were just rubbish and burned. And he said that even whatever they build, will it break down? Just constantly questioning their ability to do anything. Constantly questioning the ability of God on their behalf to do anything. And so Nehemiah has this to, to look back on. Even in, uh, in Nehemiah 4 verse 8, he says, They all plotted together to come and fight against us and to cause confusion. And so... Nehemiah has this history to know that the enemy has intentions. The enemy's intentions are to stop work. And the thing that we need to know as we navigate our own life is that the enemy can work in a very similar way. Is that the enemy would sometimes invite us into spaces of fellowship to distract us from the work that God is wanting to do in our life. The enemy will seek opportunities to attack us personally by inviting us into fellowship to draw us away from the path that God has laid out ahead of us. You know, that's the thing about the enemy, is that the enemy is a master deceiver and his tactics, church, and we have to understand this, his tactics involve joining hands with God's people so that he can weaken their hands from work. That's how the enemy works. We see it play out all the time. We see it within our culture. We see it within our society. We see it within our relationships. We see it at the places where we work. We even see it in our churches where the enemy's desire is to join hands with us, not to see good happen, but to dismantle what we plan to build. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 through 15 say this. It says, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, 
disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And so the enemy's intentions are to find spaces within our lives to cause us to compromise. And, and, and the thing is, is that compromise within itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Because there is a space at which love and compromise and cooperation can happen that doesn't require moral or spiritual neglect to be good and useful. You know, so where do we see this at? Where do we see the opposite of corrupt compromise? Where do we see loving compromise? Well, the, the, the place where we can most often see the, this compromise uh, is maybe within this, the space of a marriage or even in a ministry or within a church where a compromise can revive and strengthen those things if they're done within the space at which between people who have the same purpose and the same goals in mind. Listen, sometimes compromise is a necessity. But it only works as a necessity. It only works for growth. It only works for good if it's within the space of people who have a true love for each other and who have a true goal in mind to accomplish that line up. This equally yoked desire to see what God has to do. Listen, in an unequally yoked relationship, compromise can be a bad thing. Why? Because if you have one side of the relationship whose desire is to follow after the Lord and the other side of the relationship isn't, well, if the other side is calling the side that, 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 that wants to follow God into a sinful or, or morally lacking uh, path, then that compromise is not a good compromise. Positive compromise comes whenever there are people within the context. Like I said, relationally, ministrially, uh, in work, uh, in whatever that might be, comes when, then, number one, there's people, when we say love, people who have a true concern for each other, who truly do care about the good and the outcome of those individuals. The thing about Nehemiah and his relationship with these people, he knew their intentions for him were not good. And so he could have been flattered by the invitation by these rulers to be a part of what they're doing, but he saw through that by discerning the relationship and the intentions of the people that they had for him. And so, like I said, there is a good compromise, a loving compromise that happens between people in a relationship, in a ministry, within a church, uh, within an organization that have a true love for each other and true goals in mind. But there can also be a corrupt compromise. Because if the enemy can draw us into that type of compromise, a corrupt compromise, he will attack our goals. This is what he'll do. He'll attack our goals. He'll change our desires about what we want. He'll change the rules in the way that lead us away from Christ and his standards and his calling for us. If the enemy can find a way, listen, and he does this in churches all the time. The enemy finds his way in and he changes the goals. What is the goal now? The goal is not loving people. The goal is not doing good for our community. The good's not glorifying Christ. The good's for our business. The good's for the organization, right? The good's for the good of the, the company, per se. The good's for the good of me, my comfort, whatever that might be. In a relationship, those things can happen the same way. The enemy can come in and he can begin to change the rules of how our marriage works. Like, you know, we want a successful, happy, joyful marriage. Well, if we allow fellowship with the enemy, we begin to hold hands with the enemy and compromise and add that, allow that corruptness to come in, then the enemy will begin to change the rules, right? He'll speak to one side or the other and say, hey, you'll find happiness by doing this. Right? You want to see a successful relationship happen? Maybe you need to try this. In your heart and mind knowing, well, that's not what God wants me to do. He doesn't want me to compromise my relationship in this way, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my children, whatever that might be. But the enemy will come in and he'll change 
the rules. And so the beautiful thing about it, and we'll spend the bulk of our time here in this one, and the rest of them kind of feed off of this, but the beautiful thing about what Nehemiah shows us is Nehemiah shows us how to approach this attempt at corrupt compromise to keep us from navigating these spaces and compromising our work for God and the relationships that God builds around that. In Nehemiah chapter 2, he says this. He says, but they intended to harm me. Nehemiah did not give in to the request and invitation of the enemy because he had discernment. Listen, and discernment isn't something that we just spend a whole lot of time talking about as people. Um, you know, uh, maybe as a parent, maybe you'll have that conversation uh, with your kids about discernment. Maybe you don't. But discernment is something that I truly believe that for us as a people, especially as a Christian people, that we take for granted that we don't always acknowledge the importance of discernment and the, the place that it plays in our lives. Because what discernment is, is discernment is the ability to judge matters according to God's view and not according to their outward appearance. You know, we're speaking to, of this as from a Christian perspective. But to be discerning is that ability to judge things, not just based on how they look, but based off of a foundation and based off of an evaluation that is deeper than just the surface. And God tells us in 1 Samuel, he said, God doesn't, God doesn't judge the outside, he looks at the heart. And so when God calls us to this space of discernment, especially as we're navigating spaces of uncertainty, as we're navigating spaces of growth, as we're trying to figure out how to get to where God wants us to be, to build in the way God wants us to build, we have got to have discernment because what discernment does is discernment does two things for us. Discernment helps us with two things. Discernment helps us to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. Discernment does that first, to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. And it also does this, to help us process what it is God is leading us to do. And I know that seems obvious, and I know that seems very, very, uh, very obvious within the context of this conversation, but I don't know if it's something that we always truly think about and evaluate within the context of our own life. Like, how are we navigating this space, and how are we utilizing discernment in our day-to-day? -day? Because I don't believe discernment is something that we carry with us and we pull out like a pocket knife when the situation calls for. I believe discernment is something that we navigate every single moment of our life doing. And so the first thing being protection. What does discernment help us with in protection? Church, it, it helps us know when we are being lied to. When we're being lied to by the enemy or within us, when we're being lied to by the enemy outside of us, when we hear it, when we see it, when we know it. So it protects us by helping us know when we're being lied to and also know when a person or perspective is false. Listen, we live in a world of information on information on information. The fault that we live in today is we, we know too much because a lot of what we know may not be accurate. You know, and, and, and especially because we live in a world today, and you know, it's just... Even with everything that's going on around our world, with Israel and all those things, man, there is, there is so much false information and there are so many people, especially Christian people, who are so deceived by the true nature of, of, of where we should be as Christians and how, where we stand within this space and who we stand with within this space. But because everyone's just so wanting to and desiring to be a part of some kind of movement, you know, we all want to be social justice warriors. And the first thing that we're presented as, that these are the people that are oppressed, that this is the problem, that this is the issue, well, then, then it'll lead us, like the enemy, joining hands with the enemy, lead us 
to look at, in this instance, God's chosen people as the bad guy, right? Israel as the problem. You know, this is the thing that we have to understand. The enemy wants to deceive us. The enemy wants to change the rules. The enemy wants to invite us into these situations. And we have got to have the discernment to see deeper than just what we take. We've got to take the things that we see. We've got to take the things that we hear. And we've got to begin to view those things through the discerning leadership of God and his word. And so not only does it help protect us from the enemy, but it also helps us process Taking what we know about God, for me as a husband, as a father, you know, what, what, what is God wanting to show me? You know, uh, help us process and cultivate in a way that develops into steps of faith and works of confidence for his kingdom. Helping us move forward. We need discernment to help us process the things we talk about on Sunday morning. We need discernment to process those things. We need to apply it within the, our day-to-day life and how we live our faith out loud in front of us. And that, that's helping us process that. Proverbs 27, 6, it says this. This is just a, a verse in light of, of, of discernment. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse or abundant are the kisses of an enemy. Listen, discernment. Discerning the difference between a friend and an enemy. You know, because I, I love that. I, I love this verse in, in the space of discernment. Because if you just based it on what happens, wounds or kisses, right? We take it on surface level. Then we would lean on the second half of that verse, right? But he tells us, David, uh, uh, Solomon is telling us, listen, no, no, no. Faithful, faithfulness is found in the wounds of a friend. Listen, the people that we love, the people we care about, listen, we're going to navigate spaces of disappointment. We're going to navigate spaces of conflict that we've got to deal with. But listen, there's faithfulness within that. But then what does he say about the enemy? He says, listen, it's just, it's abundant. There's a lot of it. There's kisses of an enemy, this, 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 you know, trying to persuade you, trying to lull you into this state of unawareness. That's how the enemy works, to, to, to try to flatter us, to try to tell us. Like I said, even, even how the enemy does this within the context of the church, man, it's all about you. It's all about you. You're at the center of it all. You're at the center of the universe. Everything God does. And, and, and like I said, then what happens is it begins to change the rules. It begins to change the rules. The standards change. You know, if, if the focus is me, we're talking about it in the context of a church, the focus is me and my happiness and my joy and my standard and what I want, then what is the enemy going to do? He's going to change the rules and the standards, and then the teaching changes. Then the Bible, you know, then you have uh, uh, mega pastors and mega preachers telling you you need to disconnect from the Old Testament. It's, you don't need to worry about that. Or if he said this about these people, it, he didn't mean it like that. You can mold it and change it in how you want it to be and what you want it to say because it has to fit into the box of me and mine, right? The rules change. We can't allow that. We can't allow that. We've got to have the discernment to navigate it. Our ability to discern according to the truths of God's will affect how we process and what we see and hear. When you're dealing with social issues, relationships, moral issues, we've got to navigate that with a discerning spirit. 1 John 4, 1 through 3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, but by this you know the Spirit of God. He says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
Listen, and, and that seems vague, but it's really not. It's very specific. It's very specific at the source at which we can discern from. What voices we can discern from. What, 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 what viewpoint we can take. And it's the truth and the reality of who Jesus is within the context of his relationship to God. And so how do we develop discernment? How do we develop discernment? Well, this will seem very obvious, some of these things, but I think it's things that we need to mention and talk about and constantly have before our eyes. The first thing is this, is get to know his word. Spending time dwelling on the truths of God, listen, from beginning to end, knowing that, yeah, obviously there are different writing styles, obviously there are different things, different writers, different communications that are happening throughout the whole context of the Bible. But the truth of the matter is, as a people of God, we believe in the validity, in the infallibility of the truths that that word communicates. Now, is every translation perfect? No, it is not. But there is a truth there that if we will see it, we will rest in it. That truth is unchanging. That truth is, 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 is ever-sustaining. And that truth is the absolute truth that we rest our entire lives on. That, that we rest everything that we do as a Christian people on. And so the first thing we do is get to know His Word. The second thing is this, is develop spiritual maturity. And this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Is our Christian life moving in a direction of maturity? Because if it isn't moving in a direction of maturity, then we will find ourselves lacking the ability, the ability to discern. To, to discern when the enemy is lying to us. To discern when the enemy is using a circumstance or a situation to draw us away from God's intended place for us. To, when the enemy's coming in to change the rules, when the enemy's coming in to change our goals, if we're not moving in directions of spiritual maturity, then we'll, we will begin to lack the ability to apply that discernment to the spaces that we live. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But the solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We need that. We need the maturity. We need to know. Why? Because it's not just us, church. When we're, when, we, when we're navigating spaces that are in desperate need of discernment, listen, we're not the only ones that are benefiting from where we stand within our spiritual maturity. Listen, for me as a father, for our fathers here this morning, your family is depending on that from you. To be at a place of spiritual maturity, to lead. Your spouse is depending on that from you. To not make the mistakes that damage that covenant. To not be led in a direction that is leading you towards false goals or false, uh, false rules within the context of that relationship. Your, our, our, the Christian faith needs us as Christians to be moving in areas of spiritual discernment. As more and more and more spiritual immaturity is the accepted place to rest in for all eternity, we as a people have to constantly be moving in the direction that God himself has commanded us to be, and that is in directions of spiritual maturity. Why? So that we can discern what is good and what is evil. Because if we as the church are not helping discern and dictate what is good and what is evil then church, we're doomed. The next generation is doomed. Our children are doomed. We have to understand the church has always been at the forefront of making things right within the, within the world. We've always been at the forefront of literature. We've always been at the forefront of science. We've always been at the forefront of, of medicine. 
That's why hospitals are, are named after saints, and, and that's why hospitals are, are, are built on these Christian morals and Christian standards. That's why the government itself is built on the, the standards of God and how people deal with each other in justice. This is not something that we as human beings created. It's built on the standard at which God created. And so we have to be a part of navigating that space of discernment. We have to, people need to be coming to us for the voice of reason. I mean, we're, we're navigating times, even this weekend, you know, uh, elections. And, and, and those elections get important, more and more important every year, from the smaller local governments to the, the government at large for our nation. I mean, we need to be the voice of reason in how we navigate that space. And listen, what I'm not saying to do is to argue. I'm not saying to use your platform or what you can say or what you can do to belittle or badger people. But what I am saying is that we need to be willing to lean into spaces to lean into spaces and to have conversations and to help navigate spaces, spaces of discernment. Now listen, what I'm also saying is that for all of us, we, we need to constantly be growing within that. We don't have it all figured out, and we never do, but we need to be learning. We need to be students of discernment because that's what will help us in navigating this space and moving forward. And so the last thing is this, the third thing of how we develop discernment. The third thing is to rest in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God intends to bless us. He has equipped you as a Christian this morning with the ability to discern. Just knowing that, even at base level, you have partial of that ability, but it can be grown. 1 Corinthians 12, 10, he says, To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. He gives us this ability to distinguish what is right, what is wrong, and how we can navigate that. And church, once we've grasped once we've grasped a good level of discernment, we can be prepared to the last-ditch efforts of the enemy's attack. And I wanted to spend the bulk of the time there, and we're, we're wrapping up here as we do these next two really quick. But when we have discernment, these last, these last two attacks, these last two attacks, inevitably they will come in some shape or form. But when we have discernment, we've, we've not stepped into the space of corrupt compromise. We've engaged with discernment. We're moving in, we're, we're working on developing that. Then when these next two attacks come, and inevitably they will, we'll know how to navigate them. And so that, that second attack is this, character attacks. So remember, I said that the enemy is going to get a lot more personal with Nehemiah. The enemy does the same thing to us. It gets a lot more personal with us. Verse 6, it says, this is Sanballat writing in a public letter to Nehemiah and the people. It says, it is reported among the nations that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building. So what is he questioning here? First thing, I think it's very interesting that he makes it very clear. I, everyone's saying this, right? And I think this is how the enemy comes into our lives and builds this mentality within us about what people think about us and what people see about us and, and, and what we can and can't do as we navigate the spaces God is inviting us to. He says, the whole nations are saying not only a question of his character and what their intentions are, that you intend to rebel. This is all about you. But he he's also questions their intentions about why this even began to begin with. What We know why Nehemiah started this. Why did he start this? Because he loved the people and he wanted to see that nation restored. But what does the enemy say? The enemy say, hey, all the nations are saying the reason that you're doing this is because you have bad intentions that this whole thing, the whole reason you're building this is for you. It's for you. 
We even see later on, he says in, in verse 6, he says, you wish to become their king. This is all about your good, all about your glory. The enemy threatened, the enemy attempted to slander Nehemiah, first by threatening to tell everyone a lie about him, a public attack on his character. Because listen, if the enemy can discredit your character, he can derail your progress. He wants to do that. If he can, if he can discredit your character, he'll derail your process. And, 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 you know, and, and like I said, not only a public attack on his character, but an attack on his intentions. You know, that is the reason you're building the wall of self-glory rather than the good of the people of God. Listen, you know, me and Garen have had this conversation, and some of you have maybe had this conversation with us before too. Listen, we, we, when, when we set out to build the church, very, the very similar kind of attacks came. And I, I, this isn't speaking negative anybody necessarily. I'm just speaking of how the enemy works, you know. And listen... For me, and I know for Garen too, like we've, we've navigated a space when we started the church and came from the place where we came from and did what we did. You know, a lot of things were said that were very false. You know, we decided early on, we said, listen, we're just going to have to do what we know God wants us to do and let him fight the battles. Listen, we can't always get caught up. And, and it doesn't mean that there weren't times and things that we needed to go and say. And, and apologies, that need, hey, yes, things could have looked and went a little different, but you need to know my heart. You need to know the intentions. You need to know this. You need to know what we're about. You need to know what we're not about. You know, and so those things have to happen. But the thing is, you, 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 can't, you can't always know and you can't always control what's going to come against you. But whenever you're navigating a space of discernment, then you can hear those things. You can feel those attacks and then respond appropriately. Because I can tell you, you know, there, for me personally, there were times when I wanted to go to the, to the great space of communication that is social media and, and type away and just let me be very clear about why this, you know, it's like you want to do that. I want to post a video of myself. Hey, guys, this is Jake again. I just want to tell you, let me clear some things up. You know, you want to do that. You feel like you need to defend yourself. You need to feel like you've got to speak your piece or or make sense of it but you know what sometimes you just got to sit back and you say God I can't I can't I can't engage all of these battles I can't put out all these fires Lord I send me in the directions of the spaces I need to go make apologies but in all the other things that are just the stirrings of the enemy God I'm just gonna have to leave that in your hand I can't fix all those and, and, and only you can You know, and as Nehemiah navigates this, I think he gives us some really good instruction. Is then he does this. He goes straight to what he knows. In verse 8, he says, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. In verse 9, I love his prayer here. Because, you know, when the enemy's coming against us, a lot of times our initial prayer probably wants to be, God, just get me out of this. You know, I remember us starting the church. It could be like, let's just, let's just bow out, bro. You know, there's, 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 we can drive about 15, 20 minutes and go to, go to some good churches. Like, let's, you know, let's just drive out of town. Let's go do something. And, you know, we had to, had to reevaluate. And get to a point where we had to pray a prayer. Not that our, we, we did it perfectly. Not that we have it all together as far as this goes. But I believe what Nehemiah gives us here in verse 9 is a great example of how to navigate the space. Not to pray, God, remove me from it. But he says here in verse 9, he says, But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Strengthen the tools that I've been using to do the work that you brought me here to do. 
You know, I love that. I love that prayer. I think that's a great prayer for us. We feel the attacks of the enemy trying to attack you exactly at where you're trying to grow at, exactly where you're trying to build that, because that's what the enemy is going to do. He's going to question your intentions. He's going to question your ability. He's going to question uh, what it's all about, the reason behind it. What's this all for? Like, who are you fooling? Like, I, I could feel the enemy at certain points in my life when I'm trying to take good strides as a father, as a husband, where the enemy's telling me, bro, who are you fooling? Who is this really for? Like, are you trying to show out? Are you trying to show off for somebody? I mean, this isn't, this isn't you. Like, this isn't real. This isn't the person that you are. Look at who you've been. Look at what you've done. The same way the enemy talked about them, you feeble Jews, you're nothing. This is all rubble. It's going to crack and crumble under the little bit of pressure. He said if a fox walks across the wall, it's going to crumble. Listen, the enemy does the same thing to us. He tells us, listen, what is this really all about? Like, what's your intentions? What's your reasons? This is just a show for you. But I love Nehemiah's confidence. He said, listen, everything you're saying is made up. But you know what? And then he leans out and he says, now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Listen, God's, God's blessed you with a gift and ability to help be a part of a restoration process. Either they're in your own life or the life of someone else. Listen, our prayer within that even within, as the enemy attacks us personally at that work itself, the restorative work, let your prayer be, God, strengthen my tools. Strengthen my abilities. Strengthen what I need to do what you've called me to do, despite all the noise. Despite how the enemy's coming in and whispering in my ear. God, strengthen the tools that I need to do what you've called me to do. Strengthen my hands. Ben Franklin said this, he says, Since I cannot govern my own tongue within my own teeth, how can I hope to govern the tongues of others? Listen, you, you just, you can't. You'll, you'll, you'll dig yourself a pit of despair trying to fight every battle that you feel like you need to fight. But the, most, the, the, the greatest defense against that is, is like Nehemiah, just confidence in knowing you're exactly where you need to be doing exactly what you need to be doing because it's for God and not for yourself. I read this other quote this week. He said this, said, No man can lead a work of God if he allows himself to be governed by what other people think. He is secure to help, fellowship, prayer, advice, and he is foolish not to take it. But if his ultimate decisions are based on popular opinion, he is going to fail. And this is no more relevant than within the context of the church or within the family unit trying to lead according to that Christian standard. So the last thing is this, and then we'll be done. The last attack of the enemy is to cultivate fear. To cultivate fear. In verse 10, he says, this is Sembalat, or the people speaking to Nehemiah. He says, they are coming to kill you by night. This was work, he was working through the people to cultivate fear and paranoia. Tried to convince him to go and hide. And, and you see later on in those verses, he's trying to convince him to go and hide in the house of God. He says in verse 10, he says, let us meet together in the house of God. Let us close the doors. And so he's telling them, hey, let's get together. Let's go hide in the church because the enemy's out there and the enemy's going to get us. The enemy's going to take us. The enemy's going to defeat us. There's all this going on. That's where we need to go hide. They wanted to go to the building and lock themselves in, removing them from the work they were commissioned to do. Because if they went to the building, then the work would not have been finished. Listen, and the enemy does the same thing within the context of the Christian faith. Listen, we, we feel that pressure. We feel that pressure 
to, to protect ourselves, to protect our family, to protect our kids from exposure to the world, right? And listen, in, in a lot of senses, I, I, I agree with that. But the thing we have to be careful of is we have to be careful not to be like these people. Whereas a Christian faith, we remove our, our, our position of influence and we hide ourselves away within our box. Because if we run away, then we neglect our influence. If we run away, we neglect our influence. Listen, is it easier to be within a box? Yes. Is it easier to be hid away? Yes. Is it more simplistic to hide ourselves away? Yes, it absolutely is. You know, it it is much simpler to do it that way. But church, if we spend our lives afraid of what's out there, we'll never see the results of God's work around us. There's a broken, messed up world around us. Absolutely. I see it every day and I, 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 it breaks my heart. But you know what we can't do? Man, we can't escape it. We can't just run away. We can't, we can't just bail out. Church, it's a burning building that needs, needs brave and bold folks to lean in and to help. Listen, and do we need a support system to help us navigate that space? Yes, that's what the church is. When we gather here, that's what we're doing. We're supporting each other for the work that we do out there. This isn't the place where we come and hide. The Christian faith it should not be the place where we hide from the scary world. No, the, the Christian faith is the place where we step into the, the scary world, equipped and strengthened from the fellowship that we have here together in our fellowship with God. Church, the world needs us. The world needs us to be present. You know, as, as much as I, 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 like anybody else, I love the song, I'll Fly Away. Listen, it's a song about escapism. And listen, I love it. I love to sing it. But listen, our goal should not be to escape. You know, I'll, I'll, I will glorify the Lord the day that I, I, I've spent the rest of eternity at his side. But while I'm here, while you're here, God's got a task for us. Don't let the enemy cultivate a fear and paranoia within you where you want to run away. Listen, that's one of the reasons even for us as Christians, we can't allow ourselves to get caught up in a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of things and, and rabbit holes and, and fears and paranoia that just get us so wrapped up, uh, you know, and, and, and chasing all these uh, theories and things about the world. Listen, the reality is this, and I had a conversation with somebody a while back about conspiracy theories and all these things. I said, listen, the fact that the world is messed up and potentially messed up things are going on does not surprise me. It probably is. But the thing that can't change what I do or how we live is the fact that we're, we're a people, that God has commissioned to be present in this world. So be present, be involved, and, 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 and not be influenced. You be the influencer. But that's where that discernment comes in, where we're loving and we're navigating that world and not allowing fear to drive us. Church, don't hide from the work. It would feel safer, but it feeds. If we hide, if for Nehemiah and them, if they would have hid in the house of God, if they'd have hid in the temple, all it would have continued to feed is their self-centeredness and self-preservation above evangelism and kingdom work. Listen, the work of the kingdom of God is complicated work. You're dealing with broken people who will disappoint you, who will lie to you, who will backstab you. You go out into a world of sinful man who have known nothing but sinful things. Listen. There's going to be some disappointment. There's going to be, it's not cut and dry. So we as a church, we've got to be willing to navigate that. We've got to be willing to allow people in. We've got to be willing to engage in conversations with people. To see the, the work of God be done. Because if we escape it, then we'll miss seeing the reward of the work God can do. If they'd have hid in the temple, then the wall wouldn't have been finished. And they'd have never took steps of growth forward. So in conclusion, I want to end with this. 
as the band comes up and we'll end with worship and and we're gonna we're gonna take communion this morning and, and if my my guys would come and you can prepare to pass that out and we'll kind of navigate that space uh, before we finish this morning but in verse 15 he says this he said the wall was finished in 52 days the wall was finished in 52 days and so there's something significant about that and something that should help us understand something Nehemiah prayed for, in, in Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2, we see, Nehemiah prayed for four months. Four months before he stepped into the work that God had for him. He worked in prayer longer than the actual work lasted. So what does this tell us? Church, this tells us that the spiritual battle, battle is greater than the material. The spiritual battle ahead of us and that you navigate as a person, as a husband, as a wife, as a student, as a child, as a worker, as a, as a Christian leadership, as Christian people, the battle ahead of you is 10 times more spiritual than it is a material one. And so that's where for us in our life, we've got to find that source of discernment to help us navigate those fights. You know, verse 16, Nehemiah says, this work has been accomplished with the help of our God. Church, everything we do, every space we navigate, it's only going to happen through our dependence and our relationship with the Holy God. And listen, I don't know where you are with that. Listen, maybe you've navigated some failure. Maybe you've navigated some disappointment. Maybe you've navigated some struggle. But what you need to understand is that the God of the universe is on the side of his people. The same way the God of the universe is with his chosen people in Israel today is the same God of the universe that is with his grafted in people, us, the new Israel. He's with us today too. The people of God, his family, have his inheritance to navigate this space. And so church, as we navigate every situation in our life, let it be done from the space of discernment and growth and understanding who God is and what God has done on your behalf. That's the whole reason you take communion. We do it in remembrance of Him and who He is and what He's done. And so this morning...